Hey, Brett. How's it going this week? Good, Ange. How are you? Good. Well, that means it's another episode of Money in the Bank, the podcast where we talk about all things personal finance related. And I come up with fun trivia questions each and every week. And this week, I came up with two. Or maybe only for this week and then never again. Uh, so this one's actually a two-parter. Are you are you ready? Uh, no. According to a recent CNBC article, what is the target number that Americans should hit for retirement? I said no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Probably that they should hit yeah. sixty-five. Sixty-five years dollars? old. Oh, not age. <laughs> what are we talking about? Dollars. What? What is the target balance that they should ha- that a retire- retiree should have to say, I can retire and I will be okay for the rest of my life? Oh, so again, that depends on what age they're going to retire. So I'm going to say... We're going to say retiring at 65. Okay, so I'm going to say probably 1.5 million now. You're really close. 1.7 million okay. is... Oh, it's higher than it used to. Okay, because you know, back when my parents were aiming for retirement, it was like a million, right? That was like what they were shooting for, I think. And then it got a little bit higher and it's got a little bit higher. Now it's over 1.5. Yeah, and so it's, it's definitely personalized too. Um, so I know a lot of times... They say, you know, by the time you retire, you should have 10 times your annual income. So it's not necessarily across the board for everybody, but um, the CNBC article said that 1.7 million was actually a pretty good average to try to hit uh, for retirees. So, and the other thing that kind of skews this a little bit is um, you might have some lump sum money that you've saved up, and then perhaps you have a pension that pays out. Uh, So if you have that scenario, the best way you can kind of understand how much you really have is to do a time value of money calculation, which I know I'm going to say that and people are going to be like, what the heck is that? But if you actually type in time value of money calculator into Google, it'll pull one up and then you can actually enter your monthly payments that you're going to get from your pension and um, you know, a future value of zero and, and a you know four percent interest rate, and then hit present value on that, and it'll say your pension is worth you know three hundred thousand dollars or whatever, and okay. so then you would need one point four to cover the difference. Okay. Um, so it's kind of an interesting way to do it. Some people, you know, if you get a pension and you say, well, it covers my monthly expenses, that might be good enough. The other thing to keep in mind is rising medical and care costs as you get older. Right, because so, your expenses, you know, later in life and like 80s, 90s time frame uh, are different expenses than when you're 50. Yeah, and it's really interesting because most people find in retirement that when they first retire, their expenses go down. So it's actually, you know, going from... 65 to 66 and being retired when you're 66, you'll spend less money the first few years of retirement. And then it typically starts going back up later in life because, you know, care caretakers and nursing homes and assisted living and all of that. Okay. So, so 1.7 is the target to hit. What is the average 401k balance of somebody age 65 looking to retire? I already said no. Okay, so, well, I mean, we started with what they should be at, so now you can guess what you think they are at. Um, I'm going to say half that. That would be optimistic. Yeah, really optimistic. So you're thinking in the ballpark of, you know, like 700, 800,000. 800,000, sure. Uh, 107,000. Whoa. Okay, so. Really bad. 10% of where they need to be at, basically, almost exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, I think a lot of times people just say, I've worked long enough, I've worked hard enough, now I get to retire. And 
that's you can, um, but then Social Security typically replaces about 32% of your you know, income if you wait to take it. Um, so with Social Security, you can start taking it early. The optimal strategy for most people is to actually defer it as long as you can. And so don't take it when you're 60, you know, wait until you're closer to 70. Right, because the later you take it, the more they give you per year. Yes. Yep. And when you do an expected value, even though you're like, well, I'm getting it earlier, so I have money longer, um, it actually work. The math works out better typically to take it a little bit later. Okay. Unless you're super unhealthy and you're going to die when you're 75. <laughs> um, so, so anyways, uh, the point here is we are vastly undersaving for retirement. And this is something we keep talking about on this podcast. And I probably will keep talking about it because nobody's fixing anything. And in fact, it's getting worse. People are becoming more ill-prepared for retirement than ever before. Right. And this is going to end up hitting everybody, right? Because yeah. all of a sudden... We have a, a huge generational gap that we're not just going to like, you know, put out to pasture because they can't afford to live anymore, right? So put them out to pasture. Somebody, somebody, somebody has to continue paying for this, and that's going to all trickle down to especially new income earners right. um, that have a lot longer to pay that back, right? You know, recover the cost that they're being charged for the increase in social security fees, or you know, where I mean, the government's going to cover the cost, and then everybody else in the country is going to be paying for that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the people aren't coming up with the money. They can go work at you know as Walmart greeters, but we can only have so many of those that are are in their nineties, right. right, standing there just smiling at you when you walk in the door. But um, that's probably not realistic for a lot of people in that demographic. They're uh, not walking around as much. They're not able to get around. They can't drive anymore. I mean, like late, very late in life. Right. Um, so they just have to like forfeit all their money and go into a nursing home. Is that how Medicaid works? Yeah, that's basically how it works. Um, they will basically take your assets um, or, you know, spend down your assets every month that you're on it until you're, you know, kind of at nothing. And then, and then you'll be taken care of. But until you get to that point, you know, it's... And obviously, then that falls back on the taxpayers. And what's really challenging is, as our baby boomers, who appear to not be as adequately prepared for retirement as we all hoped, um, retire, the the younger generation has to support them. And the problem with that is that demographic is so that generation is so large. And so the working class is shrinking. So that's where you really have this problem. You have a compressed working class and you have a so you have an aging population, right? So the average mm-hmm. age, and I don't want to give specific numbers here because I'll be wrong, but let's say, you know, 50 years ago, the average age of the population was in the 30s. And now it's, you know, more in the 40s. Well, that just means that we've aged 10 years up, you know. And uh, so that that's, a, that's not just a problem for America. That's a global issue that right. we're having. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to talk today on the podcast about what do you do when you're, you don't know if you're prepared for retirement or not because you just ignore your finances completely right and that doesn't matter whether you're just about to retire or you're just starting your career right we're talking about it's super super important to just pay attention to your current situation it doesn't go away the reality doesn't change just because you have your head in the sand and you don't want to look at it or you don't know how to look at it or you're afraid to talk to other people about it right you're gonna have cold hard reality hit you one day and it's way better to do it earlier on than you know 
the day before you're about to retire and then you realize you only have enough money to live on for like two years and you got to go back to work or you can never stop working either way. Yeah, because I mean, the hard thing is, you know, somebody in their 60s who comes to me for financial advice, let's say they just turned 60 and they're like, I want to retire in five years. If they've never saved a dollar, that becomes increasingly challenging and near impossible to come right, up with a plan to retire in five I'm, years. Right, yeah. um, but if somebody comes to me, you know, I actually have an example of somebody who came to me when they were 25 and they kind of spelled out some of their numbers for me and they said, yeah, you know, I asked them if they had a 401k and they were like, well, I think my company offers one, but you know, I'm not participating in it. Why would I, you know, I have student loan debt, so I need to pay that down and I want to save for a house. So that's you know, once I get once I get all of that figured out, I'll save for retirement. And I was like, no, <laughs> um, you know, save for retirement first. And renting instead of buying for another couple of years impacts you very little in life. So if you have to take two extra years to save for that house, no big deal. If you get to, you know, because otherwise it's too easy to keep delaying this, and then you find yourself sixty and you never even started saving in your four hundred one k. Right, and we've talked before about how powerful it is to start saving earlier. Right, if you right. save if you save the same dollar amount when you're twenty versus when you save, you know, whatever twice that when you're thirty, and then from then on for the rest of your life, you're still better off paying the lower amount from twenty onward. Right, right. and you know, a really good baby step if. You are new to this and you've never saved for retirement before. Start with a, you know, start to get your company match. First of all, if you have a company sponsored 401k and they offer a match, whether it's 3% or 6% or anywhere in between, just start doing that amount. Mm -hmm. And don't do more, you don't have to start with doing more than that. You know, we've talked in other podcasts about how to slowly ratchet that up. But if you're brand new to this, just start with the lowest amount. And I, you won't even really notice that much more coming out of your paycheck. Because the beauty is if you've never paid attention to your finances and you just charge what you want and you're scared to even know where you really stand or what your savings are, you have already learned how to adapt to not to just like kind of doing that paycheck to paycheck cycle. So if your paycheck's just a little bit lower, you'll just adapt down to that spending level. Right, so that's your superpower, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For people in that in that situation. Um, but we really wanna talk today about, you know, mentally, how do you shift from going from being afraid of finances completely, like almost paralyzed of talking with anybody else about finances um, or being embarrassed about your finances or that you have never saved for retirement and you're 40 years old and you don't want to talk about it because, you know, you, you know it's, you're ashamed more or less. How do you get on the right track? How do you change your perception? How do you change your mental state to say, this is okay, I need to talk to somebody about this, I'm in trouble, or, you know, I don't know that I'm in trouble, or, you know, I just think I'm okay, but just I need to do a double check and just get it out on the table and just like validate that your math is sound for the rest of your life. Yeah, so I mean, here is where knowledge is really power. So I would say the first step if you're afraid of finances is to open your mind up to being educated. So this could come in the form of podcasts, this could come in the form of starting to read different articles online. And really powerfully, I think, if, especially if you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, and you've never really paid attention to your finances, that's where I really recommend meeting up face-to-face -face with you know, a financial planner or somebody in the personal finance industry. I mean, there's financial coaches, there's, you know, financial planners. And I know 
every city that we've ever lived in, there have has been an option that's free to go and just get like a budget checkup. And they exist to help get you off on the right foot. And I think the other thing to realize is that when people do this professionally or when people have seen a lot of cases, nothing about your situation is going to make them be condescending towards you. They're not going to judge you. Their whole job and their whole passion in life is to help people like you figure out how to get out of the hole that you're in and get onto safe land, basically. Right, because they've, I mean, they've seen a lot of weird situations. You're probably, as for as bad as your current situation is, it's probably not as bad as other people that they've already talked to, right? I mean, there's a lot of really bad situations out there, right? So um, you don't have to be afraid of, like, being the worst of the group. Um, right. And even if, even if you were, right, they're, they're going to handle it appropriately. They're designed to be professionals in this space. And right, I, I agree. I think that's one of the few areas where I would highly recommend a financial planner would be a strong benefit um, to help get people on the right track that don't know where to start. Yeah, and definitely when you're looking for a financial planner in this space, I really recommend you know, making sure you find one that you're comfortable with. So if you talk to somebody and they're like, oh, no, I only take on clients that are worth a million dollars, like that's not the one for you. And they're trying to sell a product, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're they're targeting this elite class of people because they make more money. I mean, that's just the reality. Um, so what you want to do is you want to, like I said, either find a resource in your city that offers free, you know, consultants with, with co- financial coaches, or find a personal finance planner who at least meets with you the first time for free just to get to know you. Because That's for them to get to know you, to understand your situation a little bit more, to see how they can best help you. And that's also for you to make sure that you're comfortable with that person. Because talking about your personal finances with anybody can be intimidating or tricky. So you really want to build that relationship and make sure you're comfortable with whoever you decide to move forward with. Mm -hmm. And And having that conversation, even just like whether you decide to move forward with that person or not, They'll give you a bunch of ideas for where you need to look at, what information you need to look up if you aren't familiar with it yourself, right? Which you probably are not. Um, And maybe talk with two or three people and see which one you click with more. Exactly. And you having that conversation a couple times, you'll pull more information from each of those people. Um, One talks about something else a little bit different way. One has a preference over different ways to save and different vehicles and how to get out of different problems, maybe a little bit differently. And so you'll resonate more with one of those people than the others probably. Um, But they'll all give you, you personally, more knowledge so that you can come to the table more equipped to, you know, lead this problem-solving adventure long-term. You ultimately own... The, the solution to this, right? They're just here yeah, to help. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the big thing here is it can be difficult to get started. And I really think educating yourself and having more knowledge is the key because it helps you make better decisions and it helps you move forward instead of being nervous about money or having to check your bank account all the time because you don't know if you're going to overdraw again or feeling nervous of like, am I ever going to be able to retire? You at least know the answers to those questions, mm-hmm. which is super powerful, right? Because once you, if let's say you go in and you have your first, you know, chat and they say, yeah, you were, 
I can see why you are hesitant because things maybe aren't as rosy as they could be. And, you know, right now you would have to keep working until let's just say age 77 or something like that. Then at least you have the tools and the knowledge to sit down and say, okay, I want to retire sooner. What can I do? What can I change? And that's what becomes really powerful because instead of just ignoring it until it's too late, you can, the sooner that you're willing to face your fears and face, you know, the the financial picture that you have, the sooner the power goes back into your hands to make a different story. Right. And then that, that sets you up to make, you know, one small decision first and then a couple more decisions and then you can turn it back. Right. And then before you know it, you retire 20 years early. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, one, two, skip a few. And I think, you know, the big thing too is, um, so I will say another good step to take early on is to figure out what your ideal situation would be like. So what what age do I want to retire? What house do I want to have? What cars do I want to have? Dream up whatever you want and then understand that you might not get it all. You might have to make some compromises. But I think some people, when they ignore their finances, say, well, I just want this car, so I'm just going to buy it. And I just want this house, so I'm just going to buy it. And before you know it, that's how you end up in... of debt that you can't afford to pay because you're living a lifestyle that you can't afford. And that can be, that can, that can be the hardest thing to turn off because when you're used to living a certain way, you don't even know that there's another way. Right. Exactly. You're, you're, you're afraid to change your behavior just because it's comfortable, right? And so, yeah, that's what I mean by one small step at a time to tweak those things back. You know, don't have to get a new car every year. You don't have to lease cars just because you've always been leasing cars, right? Like everybody does something different every day. You know, whatever you could do, somebody else is doing and they're doing it successfully, right? Or something, right? Right. So don't be afraid to like dip your toe in the water and because you're not the first person to like go down that road. And I think that's where it's also really helpful to have friends and associate with people from different walks of life and at different income levels because you can very quickly see that people can live a happy, meaningful, successful life really at any income level. And this is something that like, you know, I definitely have done in the past before, you know, at different stages in my life, I've had different monetary goals. And so I find myself gravitating towards people who support me in that lifestyle instead of people who kind of keep trying to convince me to live a different way. And so I guess that another way, this can be really hard because this lifestyle tip kind of compounds on itself. So if you buy that fancy house, then you're living around people who typically just all live in big fancy houses and they just all spend more money. And so then you don't you don't want to check in and see where your financial picture is because you don't want to you know, admit that you can't keep up with the Joneses. Right, because if you're sitting down at dinner one night and you're like, hey guys, I ran through the numbers um, and everything that we're doing is unrealistic and not sustainable, right? That's a tough dinner conversation to have with <laughs> yeah. your neighbors. Um, but then everybody might be like, oh, what? We were just, you know, we thought we were fine because everybody just kept doing the same thing that everybody else was doing. And we all seem to be okay right now, right? But then right. 
No, I looked at our numbers, and long term, none of us are going to be able to retire based on our current well, income Well, and level, maybe right? some would, right? Because you don't know what your neighbor's income is. Yeah. But you know what your income is. And I think that's where that's where everyone's financial journey really is individual. But, but coming back to what we started this conversation with is, statistically, the baby boomer generation got together with their That's neighbors true. That's and true. decided that they were all going to do all this stuff. And they were like, oh, we're all doing fine. And then, hey, we're not doing fine. We have $100,000, you know, $170,000 for our retirement. $107,000 for our retirement. And we're supposed to have $1.7 million. And oops, right. shouldn't have bought those three extra houses when we were 40, 60, and, you know. 30. Or all the cars or you know, paid for their kids' college. Yeah. Um, that's a huge one. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things that, you know, it's make sure you can afford to do these things instead of just saying, well, I'm going to do it and I'll figure it out later. Because later will catch up to you someday. And I guess if it doesn't catch up to you, it catches up to us because we have to pay for your nursing home stays. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, the people that continue working and aren't retired when they're... Well, that's what I'm saying. Our tax dollars go to pay for somebody's nursing home stay. So, mm-hmm. um, so other than a financial planner, right? Because that's a, that's a tough barrier to entry for a lot of people mentally. Um, right. I know a lot of people that would just be like, you know, they would just shut down if they like had to engage with another human being about the situation before they were like a little bit more comfortable with it. So is there like a more gentle first step that they can, you know, do on their own to like help be a yeah. little bit more prepared? So I actually have two, I guess, other tips here. So if you're not comfortable going to a stranger to talk about your personal finance, find a friend who is appears to be frugal and good at saving money or or has talked to you about so we all have those friends that we can actually open up to a little bit more about our personal finance situation. I know I have always had those friends. I've always had the people that I'm like, hey, you know, how much do you, are you saving for an emergency fund? Or hey, um, you know, I just started working and I'm 21. How much are you saving for retirement? We all have those people in our lives. So sometimes it's a little bit easier to just grab coffee with a friend, somebody you already know really well, and say, not even specifics, but can we just talk about you know, are you comfortable sharing what you're doing to see if I should be following some of that advice too? Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that's worked well for me in the past. And then I think another good thing, if you don't even want to have any human interaction yet, because maybe even that seems intimidating, is just start uh, kind of doing what you're doing. If you are listening to this episode, you're on the right track. Right. So educate yourself. You can listen to podcasts. You can go on YouTube, and there's tons of people on there who talk about finance. Um, who you give can, both good and bad advice, but yeah, yeah, good and bad, definitely. And there's blogs out there. And I would, but I would say one of the better things to do outside of just you know YouTube or blogs, because as Brett said, the advice can be good or bad. Uh, go to your library and check out a couple personal finance books. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I can actually, when I write up this post, I'll in the notes, I'll put a couple books that I personally recommend in there in case you want a couple suggestions. But you can, you can just simply pick up a book and start reading it. Um, the nice thing about books versus just online articles is they're typically a lot more thought out and researched than Joe Schmo going online and telling you, you know, what his opinion is of something. Right. But I think, I think step one even before you can process any of that information, and probably the first couple chapters of any of the books too, is to identify where you're at. 
Yeah, and, yeah, right? yeah. And that's get get out, you know, Excel or a piece of paper and write down what is all the money you have in all the different accounts and do you have a 401k and is there any money in there and how many savings accounts do you have and checking accounts and where's all this stuff at and then, you know, that's column A and column B is what are all your expenses, right? And right. so monthly expenses, annual expenses like taxes, right? Or semi-annual expenses like taxes that are winter and summer, Um uh, for property taxes and annual taxes for, you know, when April 16th rolls around. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you owe income tax, yes. Yeah, for income tax and all that stuff. So just figure out, you know, what all your utilities are, what is your phone bill, what, you know, what is everything that you, you do when you pay stuff out. And then, you know, column C is a little bit more of a, here's the stuff I didn't need to spend money on, but I did spend money on. And just like track that for a month, right? Or look look back at your credit card history and what you bought stuff at. Um, we always recommend using mint.com and like tracking stuff over time because then this stuff is all done for you automatically. Um, and you just plug in the numbers and then it shows you the charts and graphs and all the stuff that you need to do. Um, but you know, that that's the baseline. Just start with there so you know where you're at and it, everybody will be able to help you from that point forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what gets really challenging is when people come back and they say, well, how do I even know where I'm at? Or how do I even know if I have a 401k? Or how do I even know where my HSA is? Or how do I even find my account balance? Mm -hmm. Um, I've had all of those questions thrown my way before of, oh, I opened a 401k. I can see on my paycheck that I'm am contributing, but I've never logged in before. So I guess even like as a step zero, I guess, is make sure all of your accounts are set up and that'll make the whole process easier because once you can log into everything, it is as simple as jot the numbers down or log into Mint and it all loads into one place. Right, and how do you do that is somebody manages that for you through whoever set it up, right? So if it's your company, that you work for or a previous company that you work for, then you just need to reach out to their HR department and they'll be able to set you up and say, this is who our vendor is. This is how you log into the website. Here's the link to do it, right? And here's all this stuff, right? Here's, right. here's the syntax. They do that stuff every day. You're not the only person that has asked this question. I've worked with a lot of people in the HR department over the last four years on my projects, um, just coincidentally, and they all answer questions like this all the time. Right, yeah. And so I think, you know, that's kind of the hard thing because in this process of like, I'm so overwhelmed, I don't even know where to start. Really, the best thing you can do is just start. And that's hard advice to give, right? Because just start with anything. Maybe maybe this month, you're going to get the login for your 401k. And maybe that's all you're going to do this month is just like get that set up. And then maybe next month, you're going to like, actually check what the balance is, right? And maybe the month after that, you're gonna start looking at your credit card statement to see where is the rest of my money going, right? And then and then you'll get to the point where you say, okay, here's my net pay each month. This is what I take home. Here's what my rent is. Here's what my utilities are. Here's what my groceries are. And then before you know it, you have not necessarily a budget because you know, that's, that's already what you've spent, I guess. So it's your historical budget. Mm -hmm. And from there, you can say... Your actuals. Yeah, your actuals, right? Um, and so then from there, you can say, okay, well, now at least I know why I'm going $300 in debt every month or whatever it is. And you can say, out of these categories, you know, where can I cut back or what can I change or what are my goals? 
Um, and, and that gives you more power, right? Mm-hmm. But but the step, the first step is to get over your fear, understand that this isn't going to magically go away because you're ignoring it. It's, in fact, probably only going to get worse. And just start somewhere, wherever you feel the most comfortable. Maybe you're the most comfortable logging into your bank account and just seeing what what, what those numbers are. You know, wherever that is, um, you know, I know logging into a credit card might be overwhelming if you have a lot, of, if you have a large balance, right? Um, so just start somewhere and start, just start making baby steps. Make progress in some small way each and every month. And then before you know it, you're gonna get to the point where at least you have a grasp of what your financial picture is. And then from there, another big thing is to stop making excuses and start figuring out how to move forward. Right, because once you write down whatever that balance is, like say like a large credit card balance, if you write that down, that's the first step on your attack, right? So you don't you're, you now are no longer afraid of it once you write it down, because the next thing that you write down is how you're getting rid of it. Right. Right. It's here are the things that I can cut back in this other column. And like all of that is going to go toward that credit card debt, right? And so like boom, you're gonna you're atta- and then you're attacking it every month, and it's going to get lower and lower and lower, and it's getting less and less scary until it's gone. Yeah, it actually the way you said that just made me think of that old Atari game where you had like the blasters at the bottom of the screen and different size asteroids would fall down on you. And I think like that was Space Invaders, maybe. And then some, but some of the asteroids were so big that it took like more than one shot. Mm-hmm. But like yeah, you just kept chipping away at it. And then, like, you know, sometimes they were so big that you were like, it's going to kill me before it gets to the bottom of the screen. And if you froze, right, if you just did nothing for 10 seconds and then, you know, you tried to attack it halfway down the screen, you weren't going to get it. But if you saw it at the top of the screen and you were just like, I'm just going to try, you always got it before it crushed you. And that's kind of how credit card debt is, right? So Mm -hmm. if you ignore it forever, it's not going away. And the difference between credit card debt and space invaders is the asteroid wouldn't grow as it came down the screen. It would stay the same size. But if you ignore credit card debt, it's like it just balloons, right? It just inflates to be this huge number that becomes so intimidating where if you can catch that early and you can start chipping away at it before you know it, it is gone. And I think the most powerful thing about figuring out what your debt is and then coming up with a plan to get out of debt, and I speak on this from personal experience, is you learn so many skills in life by attacking debt and paying it down and getting rid of it. And those skills never ever go away. And then you have these like awesome frugal muscles that j- just sets you up for success from once you decide to pay down that debt until for the rest of your life, you're just like on this path to success. Right. And it's awesome. So if you, yeah, if you have that and you can get to the point where you pay it off, you are in so much better shape than everybody else. Right. If you can get your finances together and understand that you, here's your itemized list, column A, B, and C, and you've got it down, you're already ahead of probably the majority of the baby boomer generation who doesn't have any retirement. Right. right? And that's good because, you know, our taxes are going to go up so that we can pay for all of their stays in assisted living. Right. If you, if you talk to a financial planner... And you, you know, everybody wants to have a conversation of, yeah, I sat down with them and they said my finances look great and I'm on track or I'm ahead of schedule, right? right? Everybody wants that to be the case. Um, But statistically, that's not going to happen, right? Right. Statistically, the people... And you know what, might I think somebody listening to this podcast, you're probably already above average of people who 
care, right? Mm -hmm. So to even take the first step and to turn on a personal finance podcast, it means that you're above average. So you could very well go to a financial planner. And the really fun thing about going to financial planner is a lot of times they can come up with creative solutions. So they might tell you, you're not completely on track to retire, but here's where you're at. And here's the income level you're at. Or if we did this differently, if you change your contribution from maybe, let's say you're at 6%, they might say, if you can come up to 10%, all of a sudden you're on track. And that's just one change you have to make, Mm -hmm. right? So I think sometimes it can seem scary of like, I'm going to go in and it's going to be this horrible thing. But the real beauty is that a lot of times you go in and you're already doing something. You're already on some sort of track, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times they can just kind of tweak things here and there. And all of a sudden you're set up for success. Yeah. So... It's, it's just a mental shift. It's taking the first step. It's taking baby steps. And eventually you can face your fear, right? You just put $1 toward those things that you're afraid of one, one step at a time. Uh, understanding your situation makes you puts you in an extreme power position. And, you know, then you're way ahead of everybody else. If you can just, like, get, get it together. I don't know. Or get just... <laughs> Well, I think just take the first step and I think realize that it doesn't all have to change overnight. You've, whatever age you're at, you've spent decades in the in the experience that you're currently in and the beliefs that you've currently had and spending the way that you do and it's not going to change overnight, right? So it's it's like fitness or or diet or anything in life. It's not all the things be, people hate doing. It's yeah. not going to be instant, <laughs> right? Um, in a world of instant gratification, I know that's what we want. We want to be able to like wake up the next day and be millionaires, but the reality is that is that millionaires are made $10 at a time. Um, the majority of millionaires in the U.S. are not people who just inherited this money or just came into this money overnight. It's the people who have a net, I should say the people who have a net worth of a million or higher. A lot of those people, it's because it's the people you would least expect. It's the, you know, guy who always has a hole in his jeans up the street driving a 10-year-old Toyota, mm-hmm. Right. And it's because they've made those small decisions each and every day to save 10 bucks here, 10 bucks there, and that money compounds. And so the same when you find yourself in this position where you don't even wanna log in to know where your, where your financial picture is at, just start somewhere, make a baby step. And before you know it, you're able to come up with an extra $10 a week and that snowballs to pay off that debt that you've had. Right, because for a lot of people, you know, that may be listening to this podcast, they may make more money than that guy with the hole in his jeans up the street driving the old Toyota. Right. Well, but you he, know what I know they do? They definitely spend more money. Right. That's 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 the algorithm, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he can make less money and he can retire early because he's just, he's exercised those frugal muscles enough that right. now he, you know, is just more effective at saving. And, like, if you just kind of like go even halfway in that direction and you make more money then you just have more power to get to get to that same place faster right Right. and I think a lot of people like to make the argument of like oh well I just don't make enough and if I made more money then I'd be fine but in reality what you see is people who spend money and never have any money it does not matter how much money they bring in they're never going to have any money 
right? Yeah, it's a it's it's all mental, right? It's a, one of your favorite quotes, right, Brett? A fool and his money are soon parted. That's right. We have that uh, hanging hanging on our wall. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, we can start wrapping up here. So I guess my final piece of advice is don't be a fool uh, and don't get parted from your money. <laughs> no. So I guess, you know, really my, my final piece of advice and my big takeaway from this episode is I know it can be scary and I know it can be overwhelming. And I know that most of us, especially those of us in our you know mid-20s and older, we were not educated about personal finance the way that we should have been. I know more schools now are trying to implement personal finance courses, but that was not a thing in my in my childhood education. And I think the key that we need to realize is the number one thing we can do to improve our, our situation, and this applies for financial picture, but really just our situation in life is seek out knowledge and seek out education right. and learn. Almost everybody that I work with struggles with their personal finances. I hear them talking about it all the time. Like, uh, you know, their wife lost their job and now they're really struggling to make payments or they you know, have a lot of kids or uh, they don't have a lot on their retirement or savings and they don't know even what that is or how it works. And the people that are in that office, right, the same same office, it's the, the people that are set up and seem to be handling that more just made a decision earlier on in their life to understand that, to understand that stuff. And they right. said, I'm going to tackle this and now they're in better shape. Right. And that's that's what just everybody needs to do this step. They just right. need to decide that this is important because it is very important. It's one of the most important things that they can focus on in their life at some point. And the earlier you do, you do it, the better off you, the whole rest of your life will be. Yeah, and it's never too late, though, is another no. good point to yeah. make. So even if you're 60 years old and you're listening to this and you're you know only at that $100,000 in your 401k and that's all the retirement you have, there's no pension for you, know that even now, even if right now you just decide these last, you know, I only want to work for another five years, maybe you bump that to seven years because those two extra years can make a huge difference, right? right? And then maybe you can, you know, you set yourself up to be in an amazing situation where you can retire confidently and much more comfortable than if you keep your head in the sand and you don't do anything. Because even if even if you, let's say you talk, like we said before, you get your numbers down on paper, you talk to either you know a family member or a friend, so somebody you're probably uncomfortable talking to about this, but you're willing to do so, or uh, talking to a financial planner, which you may in some circumstances be more comfortable talking to them than a family member, right? Um, just getting that out there and helping that, you know, having that conversation and having them help you through some some of these tough areas they may find ten to thirty to forty thousand dollars a year that you are just like spending and you don't even realize it. And if you are only going to work for or, you know seven more years or five more years, that's a lot of money that you're saving up, right? That may right. double the amount of money that you have in your retirement fund. That's going to put you in a much much better position. Um, so right, so it's never it's never too late. Right. Even if you're already retired, like there's still some things you can do. There's things you move around. Absolutely. There's certain vehicles you can like allocate money into that you do have. Right. There's 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 just all kinds of options. You and just Brett, have to ask for that's them. actually a fantastic point. So even if you're already retired, where is your money? Right. Who's got it? Who's yeah. got it? Where is it sitting? Uh, how much interest is it getting? Is that the best vehicle for you? Should you consider an annuity? Should you consider an investment vehicle? Right. Can you, know? you protect your money from the nursing home? Right. Because right. if you put your money in certain vehicles that are at no cost to you, basically to do so, then the retirement, like the, the nursing home can't take it. 
right? right? And so, like you said, like the model is for Medicare, like the nursing home just like basically takes all of your assets until they're gone and then you just can live there for the rest of your life, right? But if you protect your money, then you can either pass that on to your family or, you know, different ways. They still take all the rest of your stuff, but what you have safeguarded is still safeguarded, right? Right. So, you know, talk to, nobody would know that stuff, right? Nobody learns that stuff. I don't learn that stuff for fun personally myself either. <laughs> and I am financially frugal. Right. Um, but right. So that's where talking with a financial advisor, financial planner can like, they can plug in some of those like, hey, you didn't know this existed, but this is like a really cool thing. And for your situation, like this is a slam dunk and it's going to save you a ton of money or it's going to bank all your money. Right. So Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like any specialized field, like If I have something wrong with me medically, I go to the correct doctor. And if you have something wrong with your finances, you should go to a financial planner because they can fix it, right? Right. That's their whole job. Um, All right. So I think we'll wrap this episode up. If you have any questions or if you, you know, want somebody to take a look at your numbers, I'm always happy to do that. You can email me. I will drop all of my contact information in. And thanks for so much for tuning in this week. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.